these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. As we come to uh, this next section of the book, you'll notice the title of today's sermon is The Narrative Begins. And the reason that's the case is the first 18 verses we've studied have been very introductory. And they've been more about who Jesus is, the person of Christ, his God, his deity, him being God, and his humanity, him being uh, man. And so we've, we've really kind of, I hope, hammered that home in the last few weeks. But today, again, the narrative, the story of Jesus begins. We'll see his, at least part of his ministry. We'll see um, his actions, his words, and I hope we will learn much um, in this coming study. Um, something I wanted to point out, I don't know if I said this in my introduction earlier, is that this gospel was actually written much later than the other gospels. And you, you know Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all, they're called the synoptic gospels, which means they're similar. And you know that John is very much different than those. And, and one thing about John is it really speaks to the Gentile world. And so you'll notice that in some of the different things that we see uh, in this, in this uh, message and in these messages is that whereas Matthew, for example, is very heavy on Old Testament, heavy on Jewish talk, um, John is more about the whole world, not just, not just the Jews. And so we'll see that as we, as we study it. And something else, I just had to point this out. As we see the first chapter of John, we once again are going to be talking about John the Baptist. And again, the gospel according to John was not written by John the Baptist. This is John the Apostle, but we know that John the Baptist is mentioned here. And he really is, he's kind of a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, John the Baptist is. And so um, it's very important to see, I think, that connection because he's mentioned early in the Gospels, but then his story kind of, you know, fades to the side because that was his role, his mission, was to be that kind of connection between Old and New Testament and pointing people to Christ. And so um, that's just some introductory thoughts. Let's read the passage, and then we will uh, study it this morning. If you found John 1 and verse 19, say word. And this is the record of John... When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou that's Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, 
whose shoes latch it I'm not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare records, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Final verse. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's look at five truths from this passage. Five more truths about Christ and about things we need to know from John chapter 1. The first one, John the Baptist is an example of humility. Did you see that in that passage? How he put himself not first but last. How he was... The things he said to the people around him were a pure sign of a man who was humble. As a matter of fact, look at, look at what Jesus said about him. I'm going to give you two verses here on, up on the screen. The first one is John 5, 35, where Jesus said that John the Baptist was a burning and a shining lamp. And then in Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than than John the Baptist. Jesus spoke highly of John the Baptist, didn't he? I mean, Jesus spoke very highly of him. Of course, if you keep reading in Matthew 11, you'll see that Jesus says the lowest in the kingdom of heaven is, is greater than he. But the point is, Jesus spoke very highly of him. And John the Baptist was out there in the wilderness preaching and baptizing, and he was doing the work of God. And if anyone in that day and time could have stood up and boasted or bragged or been prideful about what they were doing, it would have been John the Baptist. And, and, and he was making such a wave that the, the Pharisees and Levites were sending out crowds to go check, like, y'all go check him out and see what he's doing out there. <laughs> he was making a difference. He was making an impact, and he certainly could have been a person of pride, but was he? Did he boast in himself? Did he brag in himself? Did he sense and show pride? The answer, of course, is no. He did not point people to himself or to his goals, but he pointed people to Christ. His mission was to point people to Jesus. And in verses 19 through 23 there, you just see a humble heart of a servant of, of God. And so if you look back at those verses in 19 through 23, you'll see they come out and they say, well, you know, who are you and what are you doing out here? Are you, are you Elijah? And he's like, I'm not Elijah. You know, and, 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 of course, they knew Elijah was going to one day return. And Jesus actually said that John was in the spirit of Elijah, but John was not Elijah. He was in the spirit of him. Um, they said, are you the Messiah? And, of course, these people are not looking for a Messiah who will save them from, from sin, really. They're looking for an earthly Messiah, an earthly king who will, who will lead them you know, politically, if you will. That's the kind of Messiah they're looking for. So they come to him and say, are you that Messiah that's going to lead us? Are you that 
are you the Elijah that's going to come? Are you, are you that prophet? And John the Baptist says, no, no, and no. I am simply, verse 23, one who's come to prepare the way for the Lord. Humility. Let's talk about it for a minute. John shows it to us. Do we possess the mark of humility in our lives? By shaking your head yes or no, should Christians be humble people? Everybody said to do this, right? Of course, right? And yet, some of the most arrogant people I've ever met are Christian people, right? And there's a disconnect. Isn't there a disconnect? When our Savior washed feet and when our Savior put himself as a servant, a suffering servant, and we claim to have him as our Lord, and yet we are, have sometimes lives full of arrogance and pride, isn't that a disconnect? A prideful Christian is a, uh, a what, a paradox? It shouldn't be. And I know that all of us are tempted and all of us are uh, at times, uh, again, tempted to be prideful. And sometimes it's even over spiritual things like, I know more about the Bible than she does, or I'm a better person than she is or he is. And, and, and we have this feelings of pride, or I have more money than this person, or I have nicer stuff than this person. And so pride might arise in our hearts. But we know, we know, we know that if we have a sense of pride in us uh, in this tent, that that is not, that's sinful. And, and it's not good. And, and when we are living in a, a life of pride, we're thinking too highly of ourselves. And when we are thinking too highly of ourselves, I can guarantee this, we're not thinking highly enough of Christ. One or the other has to be Lord of your life, either you or Jesus, right? And if you have surrendered to him, he is Lord, you realize you've taken that back seat. We have taken that back seat and made him Lord of our lives. Pride's dangerous. I, I was reading this, uh, this quote on pride, and I'd heard this years ago, but y'all know the, uh, the boxer Muhammad Ali? I mean, maybe the greatest of all time, great fighter back in the day. He was also a great talker. If you watch some of Muhammad Ali's fights, or his, he, he would just run off at the mouth, and usually he could back it up, right? And so one time Muhammad Ali, in his heyday, he's champion. He gets on an airplane, you know, nothing, he's un untouchable, unstoppable. He's on an airplane, and they're about to uh, get ready to take off. And the flight attendant walks up and says, uh, Mr. Ali, I need you to put on your seatbelt. And Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant looked right at him, and she said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> that was pretty good. Talk about pride, right? But pride is dangerous. Not, you know, we're joking. That was a joke about it. But pride is really dangerous, and it can, it can really take us to depths we don't want to go to. And again, think about just biblically, Lucifer. I want to rise above God, right? And what happens? Cast out. We know, you know, the scripture: pride goes before what? Destruction before the fall. We know pride is dangerous, and so we want to make sure. As believers, we're trying to follow the example of Christ, the example of, of John the Baptist, the example of other brothers and sisters in our church who are humble, and we want to make sure we're also being people of humility. Let me give you two scriptures here um, from Philippians and 1 Peter about humility. The first one is Philippians 2. Now listen to this, church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you not only look out to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How about 1 Peter verse five, uh, chapter 5 and verse 5? Likewise, uh, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And remember I said pride is dangerous? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This morning, I hope you will just for a moment think about your life. Am I being too arrogant? Am I being, am I not humble as I need to be? Usually, by the way, the person who is prideful in the room is usually the last person to know it. <laughs> Everyone else knows it, but they don't. But are, are, do you have that desire to be clothed with humility? I hope you do. Don't be like the lady that approached me one time in church, not our church, a different church. Lady approached me and she said, Pastor, I've told you this before, but she said, Pastor, I'm the most humble person in this church. And I was like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> you just said that, which means you're not. She was dead serious. Don't be that person. You don't have to prove it by your words, but by your spirit and your actions, you prove your humility. How about in verse 27, when John said, John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the, the sandals of, of Christ, his shoe latches, I'm not worthy to unloose. Did you know in first century time, uh, they didn't wear all kind of different boots and dress shoes. They wore sandals, right? And they walked around all day. So can you imagine what their feet looked like? Ugh, pretty gross. And so when you went to visit someone, it was the lowest slave in that person's household who was that would be their job, the lowest slave, their job would be to come and undo your sandals for you. Not the higher up slaves, just the lowest slaves. The lowest of the low in the house would be the one who would do that. What did John the Baptist say? He said, the one who's coming after me, Christ, is preferred before me, and whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. John the Baptist says, I'm lower than the lowest slave. That's humility. That's putting someone else ahead of yourself. And he, John the Baptist had a high view of who Christ was. I pray we have that view. Let's go to the second of our five truths. The first one was the longest, as usually is in my messages. The second truth, notice that the unconverted are spiritually blind. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, he says, you know, one's come that, that you do not no. So again, the, these priests and Levites, they came to question John, and, and it re really it was a reconnaissance mission. Let's go find out who this guy is. Let's go find out what this guy's doing. And, and what's interesting to me is these are Jewish people, right? These are people who know the Old Testament. They, they're prideful about keeping that law. They are descendants. They brag about being descendants of Abraham and, and Jacob, and, and they're just they're religious people. So religious people come out to hear John the Baptist preaching about the Messiah. And it says here in a few verses later, the Messiah shows up. So Jesus is living among the religious people. I imagine they're going to fall down and worship him. Do they? Did we read that in this text? No. Surrounded by religious people and even a leader like John the Baptist, these people come and they are not ready to see 
Christ. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 12? It says, Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. There's people looking for a Messiah, looking for something, and they don't see Jesus. Why could they not see him? Point number two, they are spiritually blind. They could see the man. They could see Jesus walking up. But spiritually, in their heart, they were blind. It's tough sometimes, isn't it, if you're, I've, I've used this illustration before, but uh, when we had first moved into a new house several years ago, um, got up in the middle of the night, and I couldn't even find my way to the kitchen, right, because it's dark, and it's, the house is new, but if you've lived at your house for a while now, you can kind of walk in the dark, can't you? You kind of figure it out. But when you first get there, you run into walls, you run into furniture, where am I going? Um, and so we know it can be difficult when you can't see clearly to move around. But here we're talking about their hearts. Spiritually, they are blinded. Spiritually, they cannot see. And here's something sad. I, ima- I, I imagine, and I could be wrong, I imagine most of those people who went out to see John the Baptist and heard him point to Jesus, and maybe even saw Jesus walk up, I imagine most of them probably never turned to Christ. And if that's true, that's really sad. When you've got a man preaching, here he is, turn to him, he's the Savior, he can take away your sins. And they're like, well, we're looking for something else, something different. No, here he is, this is the one, turn to him. And they're like, we're looking for something different. We're not going to repent, we're not going to to surrender to him why would they do that why would they not say yes this is the lord they were spiritually darkened and blind and and here's why here's how that applies to us within a few miles of our church within miles of our church there are i'm sure hundreds or even thousands of people who don't know christ and there some of them are within a stone's throw of a church who's preaching. Some of them are within a few miles of the church, surrounded by, in a sense, the gospel, yet blinded spiritually. How about this? There are many people today across the the country who were in Sunday morning church services. They woke up, they got ready, they wore their church clothes, they showed up, they shook hands, they said hello, they sang songs, they prayed prayers, they listened to sermons, surrounded by spiritual things, surrounded by religious things, and yet They are blind to Christ, which is why, by the way, we preach the gospel, because it is only through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God then shines the light of that gospel into the hearts of darkened sinners. That's why we hold to the gospel. That's why we preach it. As we saw uh, a few weeks ago in the early part of John 1, just as God said, let there be light in Genesis 1, and light was into, came into darkness, God says, let there be light in sinners' hearts. And that's how sinners come to know Christ. We need God to reveal himself. We need God to, if there's any unconverted among us, we need God to do a work in them through this gospel. That they might truly see Christ. Let's look at our third point. Verse, this is from verse 29. Very simple here, but Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. I love that terminology. He is the Lamb of God. Go to our next slide. That's cute, isn't it? 
I had to Google that, and I was like, that's a pretty cute little lamb. Um, but, and when you think about Jesus as the Lamb of God, you might think of that kind of a gentle, meek animal, if you will, there. Um, but when you hear John say, Jesus is the Lamb of God, I hope that's not the picture we get. We'll go to the next, to the next one, son. Because the picture we should get is not of a cute little, Mary had a little lamb lamb, but the picture we should get is Jesus is the slain lamb of God. He is the one who came to give his life to take away our sin. And here's a few examples from the Old Testament. Do you remember in Genesis 22 when um, Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac? And they're going for the sacrifice, and Isaac says, I see the wood, I see the stuff to start the fire, where's the, where's the sacrifice? And look what Abraham says in Genesis 22, 8. God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. How about every morning and evening when, in the Old Testament when they made these sacrifices in the temple, all of those sacrifices pointed to a greater sacrifice that would one day eliminate the need for those other sacrifices. How about Isaiah 53, 7, where he wrote that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. How about the Passover lamb? You know that story, right? You remember that story? Where the death angel is going to pass over and kill all the firstborn sons, but Moses is told to take the the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, put the blood over the doorpost, and when the death angel saw that, he would pass over. That blood of that Passover lamb would save the firstborn sons. And Jesus came and fulfilled all of these. When I think of Jesus as the lamb of God, I don't, I don't think about the gentle, meek, cute little lamb. I think about the lamb who was slain for our sins who fulfilled all these Old Testament pictures and prophecies. We need to see him this morning. We need to see Christ as slain and sacrificed for us. Let me show you a quote by J.C. Ryle. It says this, Let us serve him faithfully as our master. Let us obey him loyally as our king. Let us study his teaching as our prophet. Let us walk diligently after him as our example let us look anxiously for him as our coming redeemer of body and soul. But above all, let us prize him as our sacrifice and rest our whole weight on his death as an atonement for sin. This morning, I hope you'll think for just a moment about the preciousness of the Savior, that he laid down his life for you and for me. Jesus Christ, as John said, is the Lamb of God. Number four, the next thing he said there in verse 29 is, he's the Lamb of God, and it says in verse 29, who takes away the sin of the world. I want to think about that phrase, that sentence, Jesus takes away the sin of the world, and I want to break it down in, in these next four ways. First, Christ is Savior. Jesus did not come to be a conqueror, although he will, by the way, the next time he comes. He did not come to be a philosopher, 
or even a great teacher. He came to be a savior. That's what he came for, and that's what he did. And thank God that Christ did that, because on our own, we can never save ourselves, right? We can't earn it. We can't buy it. Only through receiving Christ can we be saved. He came to be a savior to take away our sin. Next, notice that Christ is a complete savior. I like this. He's a complete savior. He, 1 Peter 2.24 says he bore our sin in his body on the tree. The Bible says that he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Another place in the Old Testament says he casts our sins into the depths of the ocean. How many of us are believers and yet we still have that guilt in our lives from maybe past sins? Something we need to remind ourselves of today is that in Christ, all our sin is forgiven. Now, do we still need to daily repent of sin we do? Yes. Not for our salvation, but for our sanctification, for our fellowship with God. We want to make sure we continue to repent and, and ask God's forgiveness of our sins from day to day so that our, our fellowship with Him will be good, our relationship with Him will be good. But we know when Jesus died on the cross, watch, every sin of all who would believe was forgiven then, was paid for then. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it is finished, and your sin was paid for. That's a good Savior. Jesus did not just die on the cross to make it like, well, maybe somebody will receive me one day. He died for your sins. He's a complete Savior. You are forgiven in Christ. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. Someone does, I feel like, I'm sure. You're forgiven in Christ. Your old sins are passed away, and you can move forward in the righteousness that Christ has given. Next, Christ is an almighty Savior. He's an almighty Savior uh, for mankind. It says here, and this is important, it says he takes away the sin of the world. And we know that doesn't mean uh, the sin of every single person, because every single person doesn't believe, right? Um, but all who believe in him, right, their sin is taken away. The, the emphasis, when we see the word world in John, we're going to see it again in chapter 3, is that no longer is the things of God, no longer are the things of God just for the Jews, but they are now for everyone, the Gentiles as well. And so when John said he takes away the sin of the world, he's telling them Jesus' sacrifice, one day, this Jesus one day is going to be the one who, who, who dies a death for all people. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all different types of people, high class, low class, whatever class you want to put them in, Jesus will suffer for all. Jesus' atonement was sufficient for all, but it is efficient only to those who believe. You must believe to have your sins forgiven. The fourth one there, letter D, is Christ is an ever-present Savior. Again, I, I've already said this, but He doesn't just save you and leave you. Christ desires this daily relationship with us, and a part of that relationship is me saying on a daily basis, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I've heard many of you pray many times, and I know you pray that in your prayers. Forgive us for where we've fallen and, and, and fell short. We need a daily cleansing of our souls. 
even if you don't, you might say this morning, I don't pray a lot. Well, now's a good time to start. And one thing we can all pray every single day is, Lord, thank you for your blessings and forgive me for my sins. Because every single day we receive blessings and every single day we commit sin if we die, biblically, unless you're superficial with it. Thank you for your blessings. Forgive me for my sins. We should do that more. I, I read about old churches um, and the way Puritans and people like that would do church back in the olden days. And they would take a whole section of the service on Sunday morning and just have repentance time where people would just specifically pray and ask God to forgive them of their sins. And that's probably a good idea. How many of us came in here this morning with unconfessed sin in our lives? Probably most of us. But our God is a, an ever-present, unwearied Savior who we can go to and ask forgiveness. Even now, by the way, Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So he's always interceding for his people. Let's go to our final point. Jesus Christ baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So I want to di differentiate between water baptism and spirit baptism, which I think most of you know the difference. But this struck me as I was driving down this morning. Um, have you all seen that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Classic, right? Classic. So these three guys are running from the law. They're hanging out in the woods talking, and they start hearing some people sing. And they see some people in these white robes, and they're like, what's going on here? And so they follow them down to the river, and what's happening? It's a big baptism service, right? And Delmar, a little short one, he's like, He's starting to feel the spirit. <laughs> and like the other guy's like, what's he doing? And he walks out in the water and where they're getting baptized and there's a pretty song going on and Delmar gets baptized. He jumps up and what does he say? Remember? He says a bunch of stuff. Some of it we can't repeat. But he's like, I've been redeemed. <laughs> the preacher washed away my sins. The preacher washed away his sins. Um, and he's like, I'm forgiven. He just, he's so excited about it. But his theology is kind of messed up, right? It is messed up. He thinks that just because he got dunked in the water, he's right with God. He's like, I've been redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. I'm a champ, you know. And so we understand that water baptism does not save us, right? Now, if you have not been baptized, if you've not followed Christ in believer's baptism, it is very important, and we want to do that. And if you need to do that, please come speak with me about it uh, after service today, and we can talk about it because we know it's a very important thing we know Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist and set that pattern for us. And it is a, an important step in our walk with Christ is to receive him and then follow in baptism. Baptism is that outward expression, you've heard, of the inward cleansing. It's like this wedding ring, right? I can take it off and I'm still married, right? But I, but I better put it back on. <laughs> it's the symbol, right? It's just a symbol to let other people know, don't talk to him or his wife will cut you. But... But it's a symbol of what has happened in my life. When you're baptized, it's a symbol to the world, to the church, of what God has done in your life. We know that, right? So here, we, we differentiate. He says, Jesus, John says, I come, and this is 31 through 34, I come to baptize in water. And John did that, by the way, just to prepare people for Christ. He says, but Jesus, the one who comes, will baptize in the Spirit. 
And baptism in the Spirit is something that you can, there's a lot of things you can talk about this, and there's a lot of, I think, charismatic groups that misuse some of this to a degree. But for our purposes today, when, when he said Jesus is going to baptize in the Holy Ghost or in the Spirit, I'll simply define it like this. This is Christ implanting his grace in us. This is the new birth. This is regeneration. This is God taking out a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. This is God bringing light into a dark heart. It's not going into water, but it's the same idea of immersion. You know, we say immersion, we're you know, put all the way into the water. When the Spirit comes in our hearts, our hearts are immersed, completely taken over, if you will, by God's Spirit. It's baptism here, not of the body, but again, of the heart. One very famous person was baptized by the Spirit, but not in water. Have you, has anyone ever told you before, you've you got to be baptized in water to go to heaven? I've heard that, I've heard that before. One very important person was not baptized in water. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Thief on the cross, right? He was baptized in the Spirit because he received Christ. Christ had to work in him. He was never baptized in water, but Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so that's a very important distinction, again, between the different types of baptism. Now, again, I hope, I th- I hope you all see the balance here of, Baptism is important, and we want to do that. It's a proper thing to do in the church. But here's my question this morning. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Has God done a work in you to bring light into your darkened sinner's heart? And here's one way to know. There's several ways to know. One way to know is, do you have any interest in the Lamb of God? If you have no interest in Christ then he has not done a work in your heart. Because if he does a work in your heart, one of those fruits of that is a desire for him. Do you have any interest in the Lamb? Everyone in this room, everyone in this room, starting here in this pulpit, is a sinner deserving God's wrath. All of us. The best person you know, the most spiritual person you know, is a sinner deserving of God's wrath. And no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter how hard we work, we could never clean ourselves and make ourselves righteous, can we? We can go in the water over and over again and be baptized over and over again. We could be baptized every single Sunday in that water. But until God has given us his righteousness, we will not be righteous. The only way to have that righteousness is to believe in Jesus, who is the glorious Lamb of God. John 8, 24 says, unless you believe, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then in 1 John 1, the Bible says, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. I pray you know Christ today. I pray you have the humility of John. I pray you see that 
your salvation came all from God because you were spiritually blind. I pray that you'll see the importance of having Christ first in your life and exalting him. Let's pray.